Spider-Man's Spider-Man Does whatever a spider can Spins a web and his eyes Catches leaves just like flies Look out, here comes the Spider-Man He's a strong, listen good He's got the radioactive mood Can you swim from a fan? Take a look overhead Hey there Episode number 104 for June 2010. The Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They have today's comics at yesterday's prices. And the Spider Spotlight this month is Amazing Spider-Man number 640. The description of the book reads, quote, This is it. The startling conclusion to one moment in time. How did the world really forget Peter Parker was Spider-Man? And what does the future hold for Peter and Mary Jane? Every question is answered. The past is laid to rest. And Spider-Man swings into a new direction for the future. And the cover price for that book is $3.99. Mail order has it for just $1.99, which is 50% off the cover price. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. Welcome back, Crawlspace Webheads. Let's uh, get to who we have on the Spider panel this month. We have our pitching coach and spider expert, JR, from SpideyKicksButt.com. How's the coaching going? Oh, Lord, it's going awful. It's going absolutely awful. Really? Why? <laughs> I if I if I were if I were a if I were a major league manager, I think I would have been fired mid-season. So anyway, but you get some time with you get some time with Spencer and his friends, so that's good. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll yeah. <laughs> that was why I got into this this for to begin with. That's yeah. absolutely right. Are you the cool dad though? Since no. you're the coach, I'm not a cool dad. I was oh. never a cool dad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, you know, besides, besides, dads aren't cool at this particular age. Remember, all parents are kind yeah. of embarrassing, and we dress funny and smell bad. So, and, they, uh, and we read those funny books. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we're arrested adolescents. Exactly. And also on the panel, we have a recent college graduate, Stella, yeah. from the Batgirl to Oracle podcast. Congratulations on the graduation. Thank you. It feels good to be done now. You know, all I need is a job. <laughs> be. <laughs> yep. And I saw you had a uh, Batgirl uh, graduation cake. That was really neat. Oh, yeah. I was very thankful that the woman uh, could take that special request. and It made that day all, all the more special. So, yeah, thank you. Now, when you get married, oh, no, I was going to say, are you going to have a groom's cake? But that doesn't work for you, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, when you get married, are you going to have any Batgirl or Spider Girls in the theme? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I had a Spidey Groom's cake. But. Oh, okay. I also, someone not getting married anytime soon. I'm sorry, I don't have a segue <laughs> out of this, Kevin. <laughs> Writer of the Spider-Man Crawlspace webcomic and administrator on the board. And it's a tough job this month, it seems. Thank you for all your hard work for the admitting on the board, sir. Kevin Cushing. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, half Brad uh, runs a good site, so I like to keep it clean. It's just... A little bit more work once in a while. But yeah, you had to get the pitchfork <laughs> and the shovel out in that thing this week, this month. All right. <laughs> All right, we're going 6.30. We're doing reviews off the top because this is basically what every Spider fan is talking about. I mean, these books were released months, weeks ago, and we're still talking about them. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man, number 6.30, written by Zeb Wells and Chris Pacello. Uh, part one of a title called Shed. Uh, looks like the lizard is on the cover with a torn-up... Spider suit. Uh, let's start. Oh, I'll go strong off the top with Kevin because I know he's got two cents on this book. <laughs> Pro, con, and grade, sir. 
Well, this one uh, wasn't nearly as bad as it's going to get. Um, <laughs> my like for the issue was the very beginning. Uh, Spider-Man has a joke already for the end of this little situation they're going into, and he's really disappointed that he doesn't get to use it. And that just seemed like some real classic Spider-Man to me. You know, he's all about the joking, but I don't usually see writers talk about how he's preparing the jokes in his head beforehand. That just struck me as funny. Um Dislike, obviously I still dislike the characterization of the black cat, but the big one is the art. Um, I mean, we've, we've discussed Chris Pacello at length, I think, and, uh, and the thing is, a lot of pros will say that we just, we the fans don't understand what pros look for in good art, and they talk about storytelling abilities and things like that. And I'm sorry, but if you have, uh, let's say a volunteer to read to blind children, <laughs> and, you know, his uh, inflection and intonation is perfect. His pauses are timed just right. His character voices are excellent. But he whispers everything so the children can't quite understand what he's saying. He's still not a good storyteller. So if Chris Pachalo has fantastic layouts and all that kind of stuff, doesn't really matter if we can't understand what the hell is going on in half of his panels. I'm sorry, it's bad art. So, overall, this issue gets a C-minus from me. Probably would have been higher for the story alone, but the art brings it down to a minus. And you dislike the lizard to begin with. You always say he's a one-trick pony. I mean, lizard. <laughs> Not pony. But, <laughs> now, like, he, he really, I mean, he grew kind of in this storyline, but uh, he's still just a lizard hulk. Yeah, the lizard, I think, is one of the most boring villains. So, of anybody, I would be open to a revamp of the lizard. It's just that this one sucks. Yeah. Um, but I, I do like that, I think it was this issue, Madam Webb has this little vision, and it basically acknowledges exactly what I've been saying. The, uh, her vision is exactly how a normal lizard story goes. Every lizard story goes that way. Yeah. Hulk out lizard, sees Billy, everything's better, and we're good. So I did like that little acknowledgement that that's how all lizard stories go, and we're going to do something different. It's just that what they did different sucks. <laughs> okay, so C minus is that what you said? Yes, C minus. Okay, Jr. What do you think, sir? Uh, boy, I uh, I liked it even less than uh, Kevin did um, for various reasons. Um, I, um, I I don't like Chris Pachalo's art either. Never have. Actually, this <laughs> this month actually didn't seem to be as bad as some of the earlier months where you really couldn't tell what the heck was going on. Yeah. Um, I really despise the characterization of Felicia. I just really, really do. I mean, regardless of whether or not the character is overtly sexual or whatever, there's just absolutely no emotional involvement between her and Spider-Man. I mean, we, you know, years ago, I mean, Felicia cared about Spider-Man, you know, and Spider-Man cared about her. Now, all the relationship is only about sex, and basically she tells him that, you know, don't, uh, you know, if you find somebody else, don't let it get in the way of our relationship because I'm certainly not. You know, and I'm thinking if I'm Spider-Man, my my first response is, well, screw you. And figuratively, <laughs> not literally. You know, I mean, when, when has Peter Parker been this desperate? Other than when he was, you know, originally starting out and he was 16, 17. When was, when was he ever this desperate to get laid? That he'd put up with this, this garbage uh, from any woman. And you know, I just I just despise this. This is just absolutely ridiculous. It's it's almost like the, again, it's almost like writers, you know, vicariously living through through this particular character. You know, he's got to have the bad girl and the good girl. Blah blah blah. Um, don't like it. Don't like it at all. I'm tired of Dark Aunt May. I liked it at first. It's time to resolve it. Here we go. We have another Dark Aunt May segment. We have another segment with the Cravens torturing poor old Madam Webb. I mean, again, this is the getting friggin' old. 
move on with it. Uh, and then the whole thing with, uh, you know, as I mentioned at our la- the end of our last podcast, you know, who didn't know that Kirk Connors' boss was going to piss him off so bad that he was mm-hmm. going to turn into the lizard and he was going to eat him or, you know, whatever. Who didn't know that was going to happen? <laughs> oh, boy, it happens, you know. Yeah. You know, and here's another thing. I mean, talk about the emphasis on sex, okay, which I think has kind of gotten out of hand in the Spider-Man comic books. I mean, what do, what is this experiment that Connors is working about? Are working on about is increasing libido in lizards. Okay, <laughs> and what what is going on in the background between Connors, his assistant, and his boss? Well, Connors has the hots for his assistant. The boss has the hots for his assistant, and this un, and, and this sexual frustration is also part of what cha- is changing Connors into the lizard. I mean, come on, I'm a I'm a red blooded male like anybody else. I like <laughs> sex, but this is ridiculous. And, this is absolutely ridiculous. And the this sniffing of the assistant in that one panel. Ugh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, and, and, and is this the, oh, is this the issue where Harry, yeah, here's another one. Harry trying to push Carly on Peter by saying she's perfect for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Harry's not telling Peter Carly's perfect for him. The writers are trying to tell us that Carly is perfect for Peter because we're not buying it. We've never buying it. So now we got to bring in these characters to try to convince us. Still not buying it. This issue gets a D from me. Well, I didn't hear one pro. Was there a pro? There is not a pro. <laughs> there is not a pro. Nothing. No, nothing. Okay. nothing. <laughs> Stella, do you have any pros? I do, actually. Um, unlike Kevin, I actually enjoyed, partially, uh, Bacho's art. Uh, I thought that it was much better this time around. Uh, if only in the non-wizard scenes. I do agree that some of the wizard scenes were a little confusing, but I think some of the other stuff, like the Carly, I thought there was some uh, some good art going around. So I thought I would finally give a nod to Bacello and say that it was much better. As for my con, um, I frankly just wonder how it is that Harry knows who Peter is and what his character is more than Peter himself knows. <laughs> it's as if uh, Harry is sort of channeling the pre-BND Peter, and he knows you should be that way instead of this sort of mass sex um, Peter. So that's my main con, I think. Um, and I'd give this issue a C. Okay. Uh, I'm, I guess I give it the highest grade. I'm going to give it a B-. minus. I didn't find this issue as offensive as the other two. Uh, pro, I, I think my favorite scene was the Carly scene, where um, he brings lunch to her, and he says, just two friends enjoying a meal. And then after they eat a little bit, Peter says, quote, I'm going to tell everyone this was a date. And she goes, fine. Which I thought was a cute little scene. It could have worked great with Mary Jane, but, I mean, that was just a cute little scene. Uh, Con, I am not a fan of Dark Aunt May. What was it? Uh, what was the line? I, I, you know, as a reader, we're not supposed to like Aunt May in these scenes. But it's just going on way too long. How long has it been going on, JR? 600? Uh, no, it's not been going on that long. I mean, it really hasn't been going on that long as far as months but it's one of those things where there are certain jokes for example you can hear several times and you'll still laugh there are certain jokes you hear once that's it this thing had about like about a month's worth (laughs) of of stuff and then it passed this expiration point it's time to move on it's time to resolve it a quote from aunt may let's see i'm a newlywed with maybe five years left on this earth who's practically homeless because my house has been gutted by flames but enough about me peter what's up with you (laughs) i mean come on now that's just annoying um the the artwork it's not as uh, offensive i agree as that snow arc that these two this wells and uh, bachello did earlier um but b minus out of me i'm i'm wasn't uh, as offended as i 
am coming up. <laughs> and you know what? We forgot to mention at the top um, why we can't get reviews from Bailey and Zach. Zach had to work, and Sam Walton called him in. And Bailey uh, got called in like literally an hour before we started recording the show. So those are why we don't have the reviews of the other two. Uh, moving on to 631 by Amazing. Again, Wells and Bacello. And we have a guest artist on some of this part. Uh, Rios, is that her name? Yeah, Emma Rios. Emma Rios. We'll start with Stella on this one since she started last. Go first. Jimmy. Okay. Um, well, I just have to say that this is probably the best issue I have ever read in my entire life. Um, I think this is sort of the epitome of what Spider-Man should be. And wow. I applaud the writers and, and, you know, the artists for everything. Um Oh, okay. I, sorry. Um, so, first of all, I mean, I, I, I was thinking about something. So, first of all, I mean, Wizard eating Billy. I mean, I think this is what the wizard should have done way back when. I mean, he's really tapping into his bestial self. This is what a wizard would have done, would have gobbled up his own son, uh, his own sort of nest egg. And, um, well, you know, that, that crew about the sex, I mean, if he's, he's, a, he's a man, I guess he's, he's going to do what he's got to do, so... Frankly, I give this a uh, a D minus. Um, but yeah, the the only pro I would give seriously is I think that Emma Rios actually did um, a really good job. I think so. That that would be my legitimate pro. But everything else sort of was very sarcastic and negative. So what there a, you go. You got to hit up. Was it rape or was it not rape? Um, I see. I thought it was like. Um, you know, and everyone's talking about this. Obviously, we get our books very late. Um, it, I thought it was going to be like really in your face, but then it was just that line. I assume is what everyone's referencing yeah. that Carly says she's not in the best of you know conditions she's a, or whatever. She's in no shape to talk. Dot dot dot. Leave it at that. Yeah. Um, to me, that's it's a little worse than uh, the little girl on the staircase, which is something that my mother always brings up. In The Godfather, in the actual book, there's a little girl staying on the staircase. And from that, you just sort of uh, assume, or it's like symbolic that, you know, the guy in whose uh, house she was is obviously a pedophile. But I think this goes beyond that. That is like superbly reading into it, I think. Um, I mean, she could just be really freaked out by everything that's happening. I would almost say that, Kurt Connors as the lizard would not have had sex with her just because King did. Because I feel like you would not want to have sex with somebody whom, uh, with whom, you know, your sort of arch rival already did. But I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I, I didn't see it as much. So you're, um, you're on the as, no, no rape side. Yeah, I, I don't okay. think it's as, yeah, okay. as much as it. Okay, what was your grade again on it? A D minus? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, Kev? Um. <laughs> well, uh, okay, I do have one like for the issue, actually. Uh, I thought the lizard uh, kind of tearing through Connor's uh, thought captions at the end was a really cool stylistic touch. Yeah. Uh, you know, it kind of broke the fourth wall of that, but it was a, it was a really cool way to use the medium, I thought. I liked that. Um, I disliked absolutely everything about the art. Absolutely everything. Um, again, Bachalo has no storytelling skills. I will I will agree with Stella on the last issue that it was mostly it's mostly the lizard stuff that's really confusing. But I think that's because it's really hard to make talking heads all that confusing. Uh, last issue when it was just you know Carly and Peter talking or uh, Peter and Harry talking, yeah, that's not going to be all that confusing. It's just two people sitting there talking. This issue. I'm reading the end. I've heard on the internet already that uh, the lizard ate Billy, and yet I'm looking at the end here. I'm like, okay, 
I think I see a few panels of the lizard's back, and that's all I see. I see some scales. Uh, so I had to pretty much wait till the next issue to have them confirm in the dialogue that the lizard had indeed killed Billy, because you didn't actually see anything like that. Well, you it can't was... really show a kid getting mauled, can you? I no, mean, but you can show something yeah. besides four to five panels of the lizard's back. Yeah. You know, I mean, we saw scales. That was it. So it, that's all of the lizard scenes really are just really bad storytelling. The fill-in art was really jarring. I mean, it's it's going to be hard to pair anybody with Chris Pachalo because <laughs> he is so bad. But uh, this was this was weird. It was like Emma Rios' figures all seemed like they were all squiggly around the edges. They were not really well-defined figures. It was like she had just kind of it was like she had a shaky hand when she was drawing this stuff. Uh, it just did not look good. And where the hell were Kane's scars? <laughs> Kane looked like if he had shaved, he could have been a runway model. I mean, what the hell was that? <laughs> so the art in this thing was just atrocious from back to front. Uh, I give the whole thing a D. Okay. JR? Um, well, uh, this was another deplorable issue, although I didn't uh, didn't quite think it was as bad as um, the first one for, for various reasons I won't get into right now. But uh, as far as the lizard rape, I, I have to be absolutely uh, honest. It didn't. It never crossed my mind the first time I read it, uh, because I thought, well, you know, if I saw a guy turn into a giant lizard and then and promptly rip about half a dozen people to shreds, I'd be sitting in a rubber room in a straight jacket, mumbling and you know things of that nature too. I, I you know, I'd, I'd been pretty traumatized too. Um, but then the subject came up, and you know, I looked at the dialogue again, and where you look at where you know Carly says she's in no shape, then there's like a, a beat, and then leave it at that. That still doesn't mean a rape happened. But the, for Marvel to come back and say, well, there's absolutely no way you could read that into it is totally disingenuous yes. because I think, I think you're so, I think it's deliberately left to be vague. I yes. think you're allowed to think that. Now, like I said, I didn't think it going in. It's not necessarily, it didn't necessarily happen, but I definitely <clears throat> think they wanted to float that out there that maybe it happened. And kind of like I mentioned a little while ago, the whole the whole setup to this has been about sex, about lizard libido and Kurt having the hots for this assistant. You know, so, you know, why, why is Marvel saying, well, that just absolutely no, no, you're meant to kind of imply that. So, you know, that, that's 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 another case of them being <clears throat> disingenuous, which is just absolutely infuriating. Um the, the the thing that actually got me though is the the first scene with Kane where Kane runs scared shitless of <laughs> Little Craven. I mean Kane is a badass. Okay, first of all he killed the Grim Hunter, which was another son of Craven. Yep. You know, and I don't think it's ever been established this twelve or thirteen year old girl has any particular kind of powers, does she? I mean that you know why would Kane be afraid of her? There's no reason Kane would be afraid of her. I mean, so here he is. He's running. He's running like a little pussy from a little pussy. You know, I just don't get it. Um, <laughs> well, and he know, also it, killed Doctor Mother Freaking Octopus. Exactly. And Anna Craven is no Doctor Octopus. No, there's absolutely no reason he should be scared of the, this kid. I mean, you know, I, it, it, I'd be he'd be more scared of Madame Webb actually because Madame Webb does have funky powers and probably can mess with his mind, but. I, you know, little Craven, no. So that's another bad scene. Um, Any pro? The, 
No, the only thing I was going to, no, not again. The only thing I was going to say as far as the, 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 this, you know, we don't find out what really happened to Billy until the next issue. But I was going to kind of say, you know, the whole idea of like these serial fiction and the, these cliffhangers is to paint as pos- a bad as possible situation before the next part. Because you're supposed to say, oh God, how are they going to get out of this one? So, as far as the way this ended, I didn't mind that this implied that something happened to Billy because that's kind of what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to paint a very dark black picture and then see how they get out of it in the next issue. Well, as we find out, that didn't happen. But I wasn't so hung up on that this particular issue. So, yeah. But uh, I give the overall issue a C-. minus, No yeah. pros. Uh, I give it a D-. Uh, JR hit it on the head right off the top. Kane does not run away from a little 12-year-old Craven. I mean, he, I don't, I think they just put a generic villain in there, because there's no way this is Kane. And the giant, stay away from me, and when he's running away from her, I just don't get that. I was very, as a long-time spider reader who thinks and enjoys Kane, that just is awful to do. And I, I, unlike Kevin, I didn't mind the Emma Rios to to, uh, Chris Pacello segues. I thought, they they could have been a lot worse. <laughs> I mean, I, I I didn't mind uh, the the cane part and etc. And Bachalo, eh. the only pro on the Bachalo, I is, I don't have really any. What I'm saying is, I don't have anything original that you guys haven't already said. I guess <laughs> I, I love the, uh, the the word balloons being crushed at the end. Um, I didn't mind the the chomping of the kid. I don't know. I believe I said that, but it's it, it's a it's a shocker. Kind of like Jr. said, it's a shocker that you would think in the next issue he would have jumped out of the jeep before it went off the cliff. But no, they just went, all all the bastards went down the cliff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what else would I hate about this? I I definitely think it was rape. I read it be- because it was implied in the very first scene of the uh, the preview from uh, what was it six twenty nine. I mean, the first scene had two r- lizards humping. I mean, are we not supposed to think that these lizards are uh, horny? I don't know what else, what, <laughs> what other word there is to say. But he sniffed his assistant. He uh, is jealous as all hell, and she was left alive after everybody else in the room was was uh, killed. What did he do to her? I only have one option. I mean, am I supposed to think of another option? Can you guys think of another option that what she did? Well, I agree with Jr. that uh, it, you know very easily she could be in no condition to talk if she just saw a gigantic freaking lizard tear through everybody she works with. But he, uh, I don't think he just leaves her alone. He does something to her. He's he's sniffed her. I don't know. I read that line of dialogue, and I didn't think that that specifically said she was raped. I can see where you would read uh, where you can read that into it, but it's possible just that I would rather not read no. that into it. But okay. uh, I. I just didn't really see it. And to to also bring up a point, why what do you think of uh the the damage control of people like Wacker, etc. and Slot coming out on the boards and saying, Oh, this totally didn't happen. You're reading into it. You're interpreting it wrong. What do you think of damage control? Because this happens a lot. It's and totally the letter disingenuous. Yeah, the letter pages, they come on, oh, you aren't supposed to think that etc. What go ahead, Jared. What were you thinking? No, I just said like I said, it's totally disingenuous. You are obviously it maybe necessarily he didn't do it, uh, but your 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 that thought is definitely put in your mind that it could have happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, they definitely they're like like we've talked about. There was an emphasis on sex, 
yes. setting up this entire story, you know, and therefore you're 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 casually you're you're it's in your mind. I mean, it's exactly, exactly. It is put in your mind. And to come back and say, oh, that never happened is, is a bold-faced lie. So well, I think it's just telling how many times they have ended up doing damage control over the course of this run. I mean, it's like, you know how sometimes when it's it, – it's a weird phenomenon. When it's late at night and you're thinking about something, uh, like you want to, say, send somebody a letter or something late at night. You know, there's something you just have to say. And you go ahead and you do that and you hit send on the email. The next morning you think, oh, my God, what did I do? I should never have done that. And then it, it, so it kind of feels like they were all sitting around and in this group they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can do this, we can do this, we can have Chameleon have sex with Michelle, we can have the lizard <laughs> rape the assistant, and then the next morning the reaction comes in from the fans and they're like, oh, my God, what would we do? No, 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 that wasn't the intention at all. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, literature is open to interpretation. True. I mean, you, I don't see – I've used this analogy before. I don't see Quentin Tarantino coming out and saying, you know what, the the mystery that was in the briefcase, yeah, that wasn't it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, your idea that was it? Oh, no, that wasn't it either. No, I, don't, I, I think it's open to interpretation. What do you think, Stella? Yeah, I was definitely going to, you know, pull up literature. You know, you don't see, um, you know, Ernest Hemingway coming out of his grave and saying, hey, you're interpreting my novel all wrong. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of the freedom that comes with comic books is sort of your own uh, interpretation of what's going on and what those panels specifically mean to you, especially ones where there are no words. So, um, I mean, that's, yeah, just pretty basically coming on and saying, hey, you're wrong and we're right and there's only one way to look at this. So. And and this is the second time, I think, in a year that we're talking about rape in an all-ages comic book. What do you guys think of that? I, I mean, the Michelle Gonzalez thing? Well, I, I think the problem is that ever since this team has taken over, there has been an over-preponderance of emphasis on sex. Yeah. And and that, I think, explains, you know, maybe some of perhaps, I, I think the fan, in a way, there's a bit of overreaction to yeah. whether or not the lizard raped her, you know, because... Like you all said, you know, you can interpret things more than once. I, I think, I think, from the fan part, there has been an overreaction to it, but I think people are just tired of the overemphasis on sex. I think they really are. And I, I'm not a. I mean, I'm a 35 year old guy going in to read this. Do you think a little kid in all ages book should have this much sex in it? I don't, no. but I will also say that the way they wrote this, there is no way, I don't think, a little kid is going to think that the lizard raped the girl just from that line. Mm-hmm. No, they're not. Okay. So I don't think this is a problem, although I, I definitely agree that overall there should not be nearly as much sex in this book as there is. I just don't think this is something that's a problem. Well, in kids. the next one, which you're going to tackle, a little kid is mauled and killed. Well, I mean, the next one's got some other things we'll talk about, yeah. too. All right, 632, Wells and Bacello Shed, part three of four. Uh, who wants to? Kevin, you haven't started first. You go ahead, Kev. This was dumb, 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 stupid, freaking bullshit. One of the <laughs> stupidest things I have ever read in my freaking life. No redeeming qualities to it whatsoever. This was a shitty comic book. <laughs> my <Yeah>. God. Um... <laughs> I wonder I how we get that we're negative. <laughs> <laughs> we're honest. Yeah. <laughs> we're not making this up. I don't know where to start with this one. I mean, if you want to go back, I, want to, I do want to call out um, a great member on our message board, uh, Doc Folsom, created a thread called And the Lizard Says. Oh, go to yeah. our message board to that see this awesome. one. 
Uh, he started with the panel from this comic where the lizard says one word, Connors. <laughs> and Spider-Man reacts like, you know, he just saw a ghost. Like, oh my god, you spoke. <laughs> and then, of course, Doc Folsom goes through to list all these panels and show all these panels <laughs> from like 95% of lizard stories where he's given speeches. And, uh, including I, his first appearance, number six. Yeah. <laughs> Every story Stanley ever wrote him in, apparently. He, uh, <laughs> he, he was very verbose. Yeah. Um, but we've actually had a bunch of members, um, get some good no prizes off of just that one panel of Spidey reacting, you know, saying how Spidey might have forgotten that the lizard spoke, which is some pretty funny stuff. But if you look at the next page, it's not just Spider Man who's forgotten the lizard spoke before, the lizard has forgotten he has spoken before. <laughs> the lizard goes on to explain, oh, Connors had all these words in monkey brain. Lizard was trapped in reptile brain. Lizard has many words now. You are prey. Lizard uh, it's, longer dumb. It's like he's writing Magua from Last of the Mohicans. Magua understanding. Oh, I thought you were talking about uh, um, Mogwai from Gremlins. I'm sorry. Yeah. Bright light, bright light. Bad comic, bad comic. The lizard is going on about how smart he is now, and yet he's talking like a moron, where in the past he's given Shakespearean soliloquies. He's got a mullet, which oh, is apparently evolution. <laughs> that's the first. I think that's de-evolution. Yeah, and in the end, okay, you want to talk about rape before in the arc. How about this issue? Mm-hmm. We have near the end where we first see this page with a bunch of people interacting, one of them being a dude flirting with this girl uh, by talking about her dog. Then we have the lizard walk on the scene and activate cold brain or whatever the shit he said. <laughs> and the dude basically goes crazy and jumps on the girl. Mine! And in the last page of the issue, we see the lizard looking just god-awful. Uh, the last pages of this one were drawn by Emma Rios, and just kind of proves that uh, even though the Bachalo designed this in such a Bachalo style that it will never look good drawn by anybody else. But anyway, we have all around him images of these people he's activated their lizard brains. And if you look at it, I swear to God, the dude is holding the girl from behind like he's two seconds away from flipping up that skirt and going to town. <laughs> I mean, that... Yeah. is inappropriate <laughs> yeah. for children of any age. That's inappropriate for me. I didn't want to see that. So, I mean, I guess I can pitch to Marvel the new tagline for Amazing Spider-Man, the most rape-tastic piece of entertainment <laughs> ever marketed to children. Yeah. But I didn't think that was their intention. So, point is, no redeeming qualities to this stupid piece of trash. This gets an absolute steaming F-bomb. Yeah. Is this the worst issue of Brand New Day? I might go that far. It's it's at at best it's on a par with the Joe Kelly Chris Pachalo issue, the hammerhead thing with the mm-hmm. puking and the mask from the stinky old lady and whatnot. Yeah. At best it's on a par with that, so okay. that tells you something. What do you think of Billy being dead, killing a kid? Honestly, on the on the one hand I think it's going a little bit too far to have the lizard eat a child. On the other hand, that does kind of break the cycle of what I keep saying, that the lizard stories are the same over and over every time. So with Billy finally dead, I'm actually kind of okay with that. Although I agree having lizard eat a kid is kind of bad. I don't know how to reconcile the two, but I'm actually kind of fine with it. Uh, Stella, what do you think? Well, you know, Billy getting eaten, I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's... 
sort of this genius idea um, <laughs> by the uh, the brain trust because they're just referencing uh, what is it, Jonathan Swift? And you know, I mean, we're in a hungry time right now. <laughs> if you need to eat babies, then gosh darn it, you're going to eat babies. Um, the actually the only pro that I have for this issue is that. Um, well, when I first said saw shed, I actually was just thinking sort of like a shed in your backyard. So, <laughs> you know, this actually made me realize that, oh, it means like shedding a skin. And so that was kind of good that they actually refer kind of to the title of the, the series. Um, as for the negative, definitely the design of the lizard. I didn't really understand the hair, the, the spikes or the mullet, as Kevin called it. And, you know, the lizards being in all people, I thought that was sort of dumb and it didn't really make sense to me. Um, and it seems like they're only inhabiting males since that's, uh, that was the only group of people who were shown going crazy. Uh, I, I give it an equal grade to the last issue, a D minus. Okay. Uh, JR. Oh, well, this was another dreadful, dreadful issue. Um, but uh, the first thing is the, the you know you talk about uh, inconsistencies uh, in lack of continuity. The uh, the our summary on the first page has a very bizarre entry uh, where it says that he again went on a rampage that cost him custody of his beloved son Billy, but it did gain him a friend in the Amazing Spider-Man. Wait a minute, Spider-Man and Connors have been friends for years, decades yeah. even. And it's like, oh, just recently, you know, he lost his son, but he gained a friend in Spider-Man. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, the lizard imposing his thoughts and causing everyone to go bestial. I mean, oh, gee, let's see. When was that last done? Oh, yeah, wait a minute. Sensational Spider-Man just a few years ago when another walking, talking lizard by the name of Stegron had a had a, spe- had a, had a magic meteor that was making everybody go feral in at the appropriately, appropriately named story, Feral. Uh, and then what? And and then the uh, it, does anybody remember what happened in Maximum Carnage, the, one of the all-time great shit fest of Spider-Man history, where where uh, the uh, carnages and shrieks and all the bad guys' negative emotions impacted the people of New York and made them all go crazy until Captain America invented a good beam that made everybody think good thoughts and all the the, the you know. I, am I making that up, guys? That's no. how it happened. That is how it happened. Yeah. So, you know, this, it's like, oh, you know, this is an, enti- an extremely unoriginal plot. You know, and, and one, the lizard has never had these powers to begin with, but that's beside the point, I suppose. But if Billy truly is dead, I mean, I, as a plot point, I don't necessarily mind it because that's kind of been the tragedy of Kirk Connors. I mean, it's a very tragic character. He's had a very tragic life. But to me, this is the end of the lizard. It has to be. There's no going back. I mean, it's th- that's the end of his story. He finally does the one thing that he cannot, there, there can be no excuse for, there can be no redemption from. This is the end of the lizard. I, I, I'm not forgetting Rid. I think Greg XB has a question later. Should this be the end of the, should the lizard be killed because, you know, you know, guy doesn't do anything. I'm not forgetting Rid of classic characters, but to me, if he kills his son, this is the end of the lizard. There's nowhere else to go. If we just go, if we just have you know Kurt going to jail or in a loony bin or whatever, that that's that's cheating. I mean that's well, absolute. I agree with you. There should be also no way he could even logically turn back into Kurt Connors after what they did here with him shedding Connors' exactly. skin and growing this new smaller lizard body that was apparently inside him somehow. 
Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, that's really this is the, that's really the only way the story can end. And if you go any other way, that this either being the end of the lizard and as Kev says, Kirk Connors or both, then 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 this is another cheat. So, no, this is this this is just another bad this is another bad story. Um, and the only reason I'm giving this a C minus as opposed to the D that I gave the first issue is just because the first issue had so many other things that ticked me off like the black cat characterization and Aunt May and the Carly thing and the torturing Madam Web stuff but really th- this overall I wouldn't say this is the worst story of Brand New Day mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking a lot of 605 really kind of was beneath contempt uh, and I'm sure that there are some others but but this is pretty bad this is down there yeah. uh, D- maybe an F out of me um, I, I I guess the pro is I can understand why he killed his son if he's truly just a base villain and he's totally lost his human emotions, his human brain, etc. Uh, because they, they reference to how uh, lizards kill their young, etc. Because they think they're a challenger or something. Uh, I, I, again, what Kevin said, there's no excuse for not knowing that the lizard talks. I mean, if you read Amazing Spider-Man number six, he's right there. Talking a lot better than this. I, the con also, I can't understand lizard speak. <laughs> and I also can't understand how a lizard is an ant. Do lizards communicate with other lizards, like with antenna or something? How, how do they communicate with each other? How are they able to broadcast a signal that turns on the human brain? How, did they explain that? Because I think that's the dumbest thing. I don't think so, and I'm I'm not a scientist, but I'm 99% sure that lizards are not telepathic. They're not telepathic. They can't <laughs> broadcast a signal. They don't have a TV tower coming out of their ass to send a signal out, <laughs> unless that tail emits a signal or something out of his butt. Uh, and, again, what Kevin said, that dude that jumps on the girl, throws the dog, the dog goes, ay, and he, <laughs> he, he goes, what? Mine. Stop it. And also, if you look two pages previously, when we start looking at that couple with the dog, whose great idea was it to have people standing in line at Eli's Cajun Hot Hole? I think, what the hell? I noticed that. That was a little bit much. That's awful. I mean, oh, 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 F. Fuck it. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, F stands for. Oh, my God. Just an awful, awful month for spider reviews. And these are this is from th- four people that love the character and think he has just been thrown through the gutter this month, in my opinion. Well, and Brad, I mean, even yeah. even though we kind of uh, tease you a little bit about it, you're, you tend to be a little more tolerant than the re- a lot of us. I mean, you know, some of us go on our tirades, and you're going there saying, well, I didn't think it was this bad, you know, but now you're down there in the mud with the rest of us. Well, so. no, I, I, I honestly, I speak my opinion, and this is totally an F. And I, I, I think that it got off the rails because the first setup issue, as I said, wasn't that bad. It got off the rails when he killed the kid, raped the girl, made Kane a pussy, and broadcast a signal from his butt to make everybody go reptilian. That was <laughs> that was four strikes. That's what well, knocked it down to an F. And not only are we all people that actually do like and enjoy Spider-Man, like I said, if anybody should be open to a lizard revamp, mm-hmm. it's me, who doesn't like the past lizard stories, mostly because they're boring because they're all the same thing. So I was totally up for a different lizard story, but this was shit. Yeah. I don't know where we're going next month, (laughs) how we're all going to wrap this one up, but uh, my God. Okay, uh, our next topic we're going to hit up is uh, Spider-Man movie news. We're talking a bit about 
Oh, uh, let me get it up in front of me. And the links aren't working. Gotta love it when that happens. Here, I'll, I'll edit this out. Ha ha. Shall I fill in <laughs> for you? I, I do remember the dude's name, if that helps. Uh, here, you, you set up the topic. Go ahead. Uh, so, Donald Glover, who is a black actor, best known right now, I think, for Community, uh, has... He didn't start the Twitter campaign. His fans started a Twitter campaign uh, to get the talking about him having uh, an audition for Spider-Man. Actually, I think his fans were talking about just making him Spider-Man. And he has joined the Twitter campaign, not saying he should just get it. He wants to audition for it. So uh, it's become a controversy. Should there be a black Spider-Man in a movie? Yeah. And the kids from uh, the NBC comedy community... And I don't think I've ever seen an episode, so I don't know if he can act or anything. But uh, Yeah, it's actually a great show. It's about yeah. the only good sitcom I like on the air right now. Now, here's the topic to the panel. Is it uh, racist or is it wrong to cast a black Spider-Man? JR will hit you up first. Oh, God. I don't <laughs> want to say that. <laughs> There's no good way to answer these it's questions. Not, it's not. There's no... It's like if someone wants to set you up with something to make you look bad. Uh, exactly. Here, see, I, here's the thing. Yeah. I, I always thought of, I mean, when you think of Lily White characters, you know, Mama Boy, Peter Parker is it. Peter Parker is a mama's boy. Uh, you know, a Lily White, naive, uh, you know, uh, completely unsophisticated, no street smarts whatsoever, white boy. So... Yeah. I, I don't think of him, but and again, is this make it? Is this mean? Does this mean that I'm saying that all black people are blah blah? You know, well, somebody's going to interpret it to be that way. But I I just I mean, Peter Parker's been a white character for almost 50 years. He seems kind of the epitome of the cornbread fed white character. I don't really see him being a black character. To me, if if he becomes a black character, you're starting to tell a different kind of story. I almost wish we had Mr. Bailey here. Because the better question is, can Superman be a black character? Yeah. Because then you're, you know, it's you're really you're really getting into other types of stories, and it reminds me of you know back in when Star Wars was first casting, and George Lucas thought about theoretically, George Lucas wondered if he could uh, screen some black actors for Han Solo, but then he said, well, if I do that, then people are going to focus on that. It's going to be like an intergalactic look who's coming to guess who's coming to dinner, and people are are not going to focus on the rest of the story. So. Yeah. I don't see Peter Parker's being a, a now. If you want to tell a story about like maybe a black uh, uh, teenager who was raised by a white couple, and you know you want to you know have that kind of the 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 fact that um, you know you've got that kind of situation where he's you know further alienated or feeling different because of the circumstances when he was raised. But you know maybe there's something there. But I no, I, I just I just I just think if you make him a black actor, you're starting to get into other types of stories other than Spider-Man. So I think we're also we're adapting a book. You know, we're adapting a book that was printed 50 years ago. And also, if we're going to totally change the the basics of Spider-Man, let's make him a woman. Let's make him a senior citizen. Let's make him a disabled American. I mean, what point do you say, no, you've gone too far? And I think changing the makeup of the original story uh, is too far. Kevin, what do you think? Well, I, uh, I'm not opposed to changing the races of characters from comic books. I think uh, the, big, the, the really big example that everybody always goes to is Michael Clark Duncan as the Kingpin, which I think was great and didn't change the story or the character really at all. 
So my first instinct on this was <clears throat> we don't want to make Spider-Man black just to make him black. Yeah. But we do want to open up the auditions to all the talented actors, and if the best one happens to be black, then let's do it. But I was convinced by somebody on our message board, I wish I could remember who to give him credit, um, that it actually would be a bad idea because if you make Spider-Man black, then more like if you make Peter Parker black, uh, when you have the story of you know him in high school getting bullied and put down all the time, then it, it changes why, which I think is kind of part of what Jr. was trying to get to. Uh, it 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 turns a lot of care of the supporting characters in Spider-Man into racists. All right, if you look at uh, say Flash Thompson, for instance, when he's always picking on Peter Parker and putting him down all through high school. Well, in the original Spider-Man, it's because he's this geeky kid, but I don't think the directors would be able to avoid, if he was a black kid, making having Flash just come off as a, a real racist, yeah. and that's not how he's supposed to be, that's not how everybody else is supposed to be. Um, obviously, nobody should know what race Spider-Man is under the mask, so that shouldn't be as big of an issue, but I just think uh, with Peter Parker's youth, it would, it would turn it into a whole racist thing, which is just not the way you want to go with Spider-Man. Stella, what do you think? Yeah, um, I agree that I think that Michael Clark Duncan, uh, I think that was a, a great change. Um, and, and, you know, in that respect, you know, I was sort of colorblind to it. I don't think it really affected me. He was a great actor, and he really had the build to be Kingpin. I think when I have a problem with uh, changing the race, I guess, of a character or just some sort of identity would be if it's going to impact a whole host of characters. Because this, in my opinion, would not just affect Peter Parker, but I think it's also going to be affecting his family. I mean, I think that you would have to have Aunt May and at least, you know, Uncle Ben also be African-American. Um, so I think when you're changing a lot of a lot of details, I think that's, you know, a problem. And, I mean, why can't we just make Peter Parker a girl? And, I mean, yeah. why can't I? You know, so, I mean, it's going to go either way. Um and you could start saying, why can't, you know, Luke Cage be white or something? So I, I think right now you should just leave it as, you know, the original comic um, was intended to be. So. Right. Well, I would say, like though, I've heard like that. What you are? No, I was just going to say, it was to follow up on what Kevin was saying, too, particularly like his uh, romantic entanglements, because if you leave, like, Mary Jane white or you have Liz in there and she's white and Liz was Flash's girlfriend, it's like Kevin said, you're telling an entirely different story. And it's getting away from the whole concept of, you know, why Peter Parker, you know, is this particular type of person, why Spider-Man is such a release for him. So, anyway. Um, but, yeah, I would argue uh, what Stella was saying. I've heard that argument a lot, you know, if, if we do that, why don't we make Luke Cage white? Or I bet people would react badly if we made Blade white. Well, that's it's not the same thing. We wouldn't make... Luke Cage or Blade white because we don't need more strong white characters. We've got plenty. The idea behind changing some of the races of some of the white characters is we do need more strong black characters, more strong Asian characters or Latino characters. There are a wealth of strong white characters out there, so I, I don't think it relates at all to if you were to change the race of somebody like Luke Cage or Blade, but I've heard that argument a lot. Why don't we create a new strong black character and make him the lead? That would be great, but I think the I think the idea is still that uh, it wouldn't sell as well. I mean, you've got all these. We, well, Spider-Man had fifty blood. years of build-up to get where he is. That's the thing. All yeah. the white characters do. You, we're now getting a glut of these uh, great superhero movies, 
Uh, and they're all Iron Man, they're Thor, they're Spider-Man, they're Green Lantern, they're Superman, they're Batman, they're Wonder Woman, all white characters. Mm-hmm. Because they all come from basically a time where you weren't going to have that strong leading black character. And it's hard to introduce, you know, somebody brand new that's this black character, even if they are good, it's not going to be Iron Man or Spider-Man. It's not going to be in those upper tiers. And I think it, it kind of understandably annoys people that they will always be lesser. Well, I, the other argument is to make a brand new for the movies character like Hancock, who made a ton of money, and but people will embrace did that not character make enough for a sequel. Oh, I don't yeah. know. I, I think there's talk of a sequel. I think there was, but I haven't heard it in a while. And then you know, as uh, I think Jr. was talking about with Peter Parker's girlfriends, even Hancock, you know, the the true love of his life was this white blonde. <laughs> <laughs> it was Will Smith well, and Charlie. For God's sake! Well, yeah. Charlize Theron is African. Yeah, but she was white. born in Africa. <laughs> she was not even doing a, a South African accent in the movie. She was an American. Well, I think they were both supposed to be sort of Greek, but either way, yeah. But I, I, I just, I don't. The know. point is, we need more. I, I absolutely agree. We need a lot more diversity in our strong characters, and especially the ones that you know sell so well. Because it's not just about money; it's about what permeates the culture and you know kids of all races need somebody to look up to that they can see as like them and yeah everybody can look up to spider-man but he doesn't have the same sorts of struggles the same sort of identity uh that kids do who are black or asian or hispanic and it would be nice if they could have those same kind of culture permeating characters to look up to and like i say i think it would be great if we could change a few of the races, again, if it was because the actor was right for it. But I agree that in this case with Spider-Man, it just would not be, uh, it, it wouldn't be Spider-Man. You may as well just go ahead and create a different character. And uh, I'm looking at boxofficemojo.com. The production budget of Hancock, $150 million. Uh, in the United States, it made $227 million. Foreign release, $396 million for a total worldwide box office of $624 million. I would call that one a success. That I would call a success. <laughs> I mean, so there's, there's room for different, unique characters that are have a black male lead, and they can bring in money, which is, I think... But again, I think you also have to look at the kind of characters you're doing. I mean, like Luke Cage, you know, look yep. at his story. As a black man, he comes from prison. You know, Hancock is the black superhero that went to prison. You uh, know, I think we need to keep our black characters out of prison, for God's sake. <laughs> All well, right. You know, and, and then again, I mean, this is kind of like the question we had not too long ago about, uh, about gay characters. I mean, yeah. when you think about it, I mean... How do you, I mean when when Stanley created Luke Cage, he created Luke Cage. His idea of making a guy a black character sound like a black character was to have him say stuff like "Sweet Christmas," yeah. you know. <laughs> I, I, and I mean, really, and and so how do you you know how do you make a black character? I mean, the whole idea of having a character to be black would be to emphasize well he's, he's black. Well, how do you make him black without being offensive? Like, how do yeah. you have a gay character who or a character who just happens to be gay? But how do you emphasize the fact that he's gay without being offensive? Yeah. I think one thing you need to do is have writers who are from the same demographic. Black writers can write Luke Cage, Black Panther, Blade really easily because you know they're writing what they know. And the best gay characters I think I've read in comics are uh, the two young Avengers who are gay men 
and um, Two Gay Men and Manhunter, comics written by Alan Heinberg and Mark Andreco, who are gay. Yeah. You know, I think you need to look at who you're having write these characters. If you're going to do some big push uh, to have somebody from a new demographic, from a different race or gay, whatever, uh, it would be nice if somebody who actually knows what that's like uh, could be at least involved in the writing process. Little unknown fact, my wife, Mrs. Crawlspace, went to high school with Alan Heinberg in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Really? Wow. Yeah. She was like, saw his credit on Grey's Anatomy and like, oh, I went to school with him. I'm like, he writes comics. That's even better. <laughs> <laughs> and that is awesome. Moving on to a different topic. That one got some good debate going. Um, this one, my geek shackles went up because I'm a kid of the 80s and it was announced that uh, the voice actor Dan uh, Gilvezen will be voicing Spider-Man uh, in the new Shattered Dimensions video game coming out. And he's going to be voicing the 2099 character of Spider-Man. If you don't know who Dan Gavilzian, man, I came to say, Dan G. We'll call him Dan G. For the <laughs> <laughs> he voiced Spider-Man in one of my all-time favorites, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. The guy hasn't voiced Spider-Man in 30 years. So he also voiced Bumblebee in the original Transformers cartoon. Let's go to the video, video game expert. What do you think of this? Did you ever watch Amazing Friends and reruns, Stella? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Every time it came on, you know, they had those, like, special uh, Spider-Man or Hero Weekends, you know, whenever yep. it was, like, Memorial Day or something. I always, you know, I loved watching that. Um, I think, you know, I applaud Activision for sort of getting their tentacles into different, you know, people and pulling them for sort of all different generations. And I think this is a great way to get many different generations into uh, potentially getting this game. So I'm pretty excited about it. We also have the voice actor of, um, oh, the 90, Christopher Daniel Barnes, going to voice another Spider-Man. Who, who do you think should be the other two, Stella? Um, I think we should get Josh. Um, yep. Josh is from awesome. Spectac- I think that would be great. Um, I think Rhino Romano would be an obvious pick as well. You know, he had done um, voice work for the the PS One Spider Man games and also that short lived Spider Man Limited TV show. So I think he would yeah. be a good pick as well. And now, if you wanted my geek shackles to go up even higher, the guy, <laughs> the guy from, uh, oh, help me, Jr. from the seventies, uh, Peter Parker, Nick Hammond. Nicholas Hammond, Nicholas Hammond, get him to voice Peter Parker. That would be even cooler. Uh, what do you guys think of getting these old Spider-Man actors together in one video game? Well, I'm not a video game player, and uh, I've I've only seen like one episode of Amazing Friends, but Spidey 2099 looks awesome. Mm-hmm. I've always loved Spider-Man 2099, and honestly, seeing that little trailer kind of makes me wish I had a gaming console just so I could play this freaking game. So that's pretty good. That really says something, too. <laughs> <laughs> JR, what do you think? Getting these old guys back to voice our favorite character. I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the whole thing is, I mean, so many of the Spider-Man voice actors are so bad uh, on the video games. Uh, I guess that you know, really having guys who've actually voiced the character in the past is a positive. I mean, they they certainly sound better than some of these guys who've been voicing him in the past. But you know, so in in that perspective, yeah, that's that's good. But I mean, as overall, the fact that they happen to be old Spider-Man voices, I I, I really don't care. Really? No. Now you you I'm not a gamer. Yeah, that's so. true. But you were a generation before me. You didn't grow up with Amazing Friends, did you? You didn't watch that every Saturday morning. I didn't watch. I, I you know, I, I didn't watch Amazing Friends. I, I was, I, I, and I got disgusted with the '70s Spider-Man um, 
after a while, even though, honestly, I've always thought Nick Hammond should have had a cameo in one of these movies. I really yeah. did. But uh, I, the, the spider, I, I always thought the, until the 90s show, until the 90s Fox show, that the Spider-Man media was typically just awful. And it was so awful as to be unwatchable. And <laughs> Spider-Man and his amazing friends was part of that. I mean, just the idea of him palling around with Iceman and Firestar in this hip apartment and, you know, with, with Aunt, and Aunt May with her stupid dog. And it was, just, it was, it <laughs> was little dumb. dog. Your little dog yeah, too. It, yeah. You know, it was a dumbing down of Spider-Man. And I just, <laughs> I just always despised that. So, oh. well, I was but like I seven, think, seven and eight and I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I think this company is doing a really smart thing with, you know, we're, I don't think we're all going to be excited about all of the voices, but they are making it so, like, each generation has something to get excited about. Because, I mean, you're going nuts over uh, this guy, Dan Gilvazan or Gilvazan or whatever his yeah. name is. I don't care about him, but Christopher Daniel Barnes is still kind of the voice of Spider-Man to me because I grew yeah. up with the 90s show. So when I heard that, I was thinking, damn. <laughs> First but but I, did hear, I did hear the, the I mean, I, I played the demo that they had for Spider-Man 29 for Spencer. I mean, it's a good voice. I mean, yep. I like it. It is a good voice. I mean, and to me, that's what's preeminent, that it's a good voice, and it sounds like it that character could possibly sound like. So, you know. Stella, you picking it up? I think so. I've been yeah. going back and forth um, because a lot of the things, I don't know, it, it's not as much web swinging, I think, as I would have liked, and uh, not as open world, I think. But I, I think, you know, I, I'll probably still keep track of it, but, you know, it looks like a pretty fun game, so probably. Yeah. First day release pickup for me. One thing I thought was funny about that trailer, though, with the 29N, was at the end they were saying, you know, we're going to reveal the fourth one later, and then they pretty much blatantly showed symbiotes. Like, what yeah. the hell else could Is that pretty much, I mean, is that the unanimous, that's the fourth world? I think it has to it's be. It's got to yeah. be. Look at the eyes and the mouths, for God's sake. Those are symbiotes. Yeah, no doubt. I agree. All right, moving on to uh, this month in spider history. I think we skipped the last couple months of this, Jr. But uh, yes, we're going back to June of 1983. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 241 came out. It's got uh, the vulture on there with it looks like the the red Spider-Man light from his belt is shining up against him. And uh, it's called In the Beginning. Uh, writer Roger Stern, artist John Romita Jr. Jr. What do you think of 241? Oh, I mean, this is, you know, in fact, I, I was pulling this issue out to, to be, uh, kind of refresh um, my memory of it. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's got everything that was so good about the, that particular era there in, in it. I mean, I know that, you know, some looks like younger people listen to us old fools talk or whatever. You know, back in my day, everything was better, you know. <laughs> and but but this is I mean, but, you know, John Romita Jr.'s art is real, even though it's not John Romita Jr. as we know him now, it's good, clean, solid art. You know, Roger Stern is a good writer. He does a lot of good things with characters. I mean, first of all, in this particular story, for example, we never really knew the Vulture's origin. So he takes us all the way back to the Vulture's origin and what prompted him to become the Vulture. In fact, and Stern even takes us back to the old farm silo that the Vulture used mm. as his hideout when Stan Lee first wrote it back in issue number two. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of a, you know, a continuity fanboy horror type, you know, moment. Um, Stern has uh, Mary Jane shows up here for the first time in about three years. And even Chris Keating, who always despised you know, Spider-Man has a has a really good scene where basically Spider-Man captures the uh, captures the Vulture, but the Vulture the Vulture's the Vulture because his old business partner ripped him off, and he was going to kill his old business partner, and 
Spider-Man calls, you know, it, it, you'd have to see the exchange. I don't want to waste a lot of time. But anyway, Keating uh, just kind of lets the, the scummy business partner have it, you know. Even though Keating doesn't care for Spider-Man, he doesn't get in Spider-Man's way when Spider-Man's, you know, doing something and blows mm-hmm. smoke in his face. And it's just really good characterization throughout. Uh, and um, it, it, it's just, you know, it's well done, well written, good art. Uh, it's just, it's 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 a per- I mean, folks. I mean, if you're looking for classic Spider-Man, the Roger Stern, John Romita issues are a great place to start. Yep. Also, that came out this month, uh, Marvel Team Up number 130 from June 1983. This one's called Till Death Do Us Part, written by J.M.D. Mateus, artist Salubusima, and in this team up, Spider-Man and the Scarlet Witch and the Vision all team up. I think this is right after that uh, Vision Scarlet Witch limited series came out. So, what do you, do you, do you pick this one up, Jr.? Uh, I've got this one. Uh, okay. You know, it's it's another one of those weird ass stories where there's a uh, where Spider-Man fights this. Uh, what's his name here? Necromias or uh, yeah. some kind of weird ass. Necrodamus. Yeah. yeah, he takes over. He takes over the vision and you know and things of that nature. So in in that way, it's kind of unremarkable. The 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 only the interesting thing about this story though that kind of makes it stand out above other Marvel team up stories, which were usually just excuses to have villains and heroes get together, fight, and then move on, is that there's this old reporter from the Daily Bugle who I, I mean we've never seen before since. But anyway, he's kind of tagging along. He's going to retire, and he figures out who Spider Man is. And part of the story is he's he's looking for the he's looking for like the story the big story to end his career. He thinks he's got it, and at the very end he decides it's a story he can't tell for for various reasons. I mean, you know, the fact that he you know he realizes that Spider Man is a genuine hero, but it's kind of a nice scene. I mean, it's just kind of, you know it, it, it's not one of these he's not one of these stupid people who can't figure out when Peter disappears and Spider Man appears. He figures it out right away. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then how they resolve that is kind of nice. So, you know, it's it's a notch above your typical Marvel team-up. It's got a great-looking John Romita Jr. cover, too. Yeah. Uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, I'm sorry, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, uh, number 79, also came out in June of 83. Bill Matlow wrote it, artist Al Milgram, called The Final Battle, and this was a good one, J.R., yeah, I mean, for those of us who, uh, uh, you know, grew up in the, uh, you know, I was in college during this time, and the Bill Mantlo really hit his stride here in Spectacular Spider-Man. Uh, I mean, Spectacular, when it, there was the, it was Spectacular started off pretty slow, uh, but then about the uh, the Carrion uh, Daredevil story, it started to pick up spe- steam. And when the Black Cat became kind of a semi regular character in it, it just that was kind of when it was at its highest. And this was a great story. It had been a year in the making. Um, you know, Doc Ock and the Owl had gone at it for some time. And Doc was always, even when the story wasn't about him, he was always kind of lingering in the background. This was the story arc where Spidey and the Black Cat's relationship just really turned red hot instead of the kind of the dancing around. They've been doing in prior arcs. This this is where it just caught, literally caught on fire, uh, and uh, Ock was coming back to kill the cat, and Spider Man basically had set up all of his business, thinking that this could be the final battle, and basically that whole issue is just one slam bang yeah. battle. From page one to the end. I mean, Captain DeWolf gets into it by crashing her, her roadster into Doc Ock. They tear up the hospital. They move to a train yard. Uh, Spidey tries to, send, you know, trick Doc into standing in front of a train. Well, Doc stands in front of the train, and the train loses. Uh, <laughs> it's just a lot of great stuff. 
and and then when Spidey beats Doc Ock at the end, he just he just stands up and proclaims, "You can regain your strength, even increase your power, but you'll never beat me, never!" <laughs> you know, and it's just, <laughs> it's it's nice. it's just it's just I mean, geek gasms all the way throughout. Now to compare uh, compare this Felicia to the Felicia that you talked about earlier, this uh, this, this one uh, uh, there was a bit of sex, but she didn't really care that much about Spider-Man or Peter in this one either because she didn't want the mask off. Right, right. It's that was always kind of an annoying. I mean, that I was about to say we could wind up talking forever about Felicia and this. Yeah, that was always kind of annoying that she didn't want to know, you know, who spy what Spider-Man's face was. But still, there was genuine emotion there. She genuinely cared about him. Maybe it was kind of screwed up, but he cared about her. She cared about him. It wasn't just about sex. There was affection there. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, all it is is about sex. There's no affection between these characters. There's no tenderness. There's no nothing. Uh, it's it's you know I mean there was a lot of tenderness in these issues. And when Spider-Man, like about three issues before, when he was running into her, running her to the hospital after she'd been shot up, I mean his pain was just you know you could feel his pain even to the point where he actually saw them have to cut into her. It just traumatized him. Yeah. There was, it was just a lot of good, heartfelt, honest emotion in these issues that is completely missing in Brand New Day. Totally missing. Okay. So. Good month or bad month for Spidey? What would you give this month as a grade? Uh, very good month. Two out of three winners for this one. So. Awesome. And uh, JR's got to go. He's got to go gotta, pitch a game. I've, no recommendations this month, huh? No, no recommendations. I have to run and be part of a pitching clinic here for my uh, our seven and eight year olds. So, uh, with that, uh, with that, gentlemen and lady, I bid you adieu. Thank you, thank you, Jr. Have a good one, buddy. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Recommendations for the end of the show, Kevin. What do you like this month? Well, um, I tell you what, I haven't been reading many comics still, sadly, but. I did get to see a story on CBR uh, that completely and entirely and thankfully spoiled the ending of Avengers Academy number one. Mm. Uh, I had no interest in Avengers Academy whatsoever. It sounded like just uh, a dumb idea to me, but this uh, it showed the last several pages of the issue, and i got to say I thought it was great stuff. Uh, and just that convinced me to put... Avengers Academy on my pull list at a time when I'm trying to cut down my pull list. So, I'll tell you how good it is. Yeah, so I really like the idea. I think it's very strong, and the writing seemed really good. The art is Mike McCone's, so it's very solid. Um, so I would recommend Avengers Academy. Give that a look if you were like me and not interested. There's an entirely different twist to this than you would think. It is not Avengers the Initiative. Um, and that, also, that book actually got a lot better, I thought, towards the end of it. But, yeah, I honestly didn't read much of it. Um, I didn't really give it much of a chance after the beginning because I just didn't like it. But and and to be honest, I've never been a fan of Christos Gage. I read uh, a miniseries he did for, like I think the second Annihilation event, and I thought it was bad. But uh, this is Christos Gage, and it was written really well. I was impressed. Yeah. So uh, I recommend that one, and hopefully that doesn't backfire on me. But you know. <laughs> um, also going to recommend a new TV show on Fox called The Good Guys. Oh, with Tom uh, Hanks' kid. Yeah, it's Colin Hanks and Bradley Whitford. Uh, if you know basically any Aaron Sorkin show, West Wing, Studio 60, you know Bradley Whitford. Uh, basically, the entire idea of this show is take every uh, overdone stereotype of buddy cop movies, turn it up to 11, and have a great time. 
<laughs> and this is just a really, really fun show. And I've seen a couple of reviews that seem to miss the point. Uh, they'll say, oh, we've, we've seen these kinds of villains so many times before. And well, yeah, that's the idea, but it's a parody. They're funny. So it's, it's a really fun show. I honestly don't know how long they can, they can keep it up with this, this level of parody, uh, of, of this genre, but it's a good time right now. So I'd recommend checking it out. It's on Monday nights. I don't know if it's eight or nine. Latomy is in the other spots. Just watch them both because Latomy is good too. Um, Got to recommend a website for those of you with a Blu-ray player, which I believe... Uh, no, that's you, Brad, and yeah. Stella? And Stella, yeah, she's got a PS3. Yeah, PS3, yeah. Okay, so this is for both of you and everybody out there that's got a Blu-ray player. I found a website. Uh, it's it's legit. It's run by Warner Brothers. It's part of the official Warner Brothers store. It's called DVD2Blue.com. That's DVD2BLU.com. Uh, and they have this whole long list of Warner Brothers and New Line titles. I guess they must have bought New Line at some point. Uh, where you can ch- you can click on the title. If you've got the DVD, you can trade in the DVD for a brand new Blu-ray for about four dollars and ninety-five cents a piece. That is that is an amazing program because I've already paid a lot more than that to replace a lot of my DVDs. What'd you get? I see Beetlejuice, Avatar, Blood Diamond. Uh, I ended up, there were a lot of there, a lot of them on there sadly I'd already paid a lot more for. I ended up just yep. getting to upgrade five. Um, Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, great movie. Um, Wedding Crashers, Shoot 'em Up, Get Smart, something else, don't remember. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can do up to 25, and like I said, they're 4.95 a piece, which is incredible. You just m- put your DVD discs into an envelope, post it Just the page. disc or the, the box? Just the disc. They specifically say they don't oh, want the really? box. They don't want any packaging. If it's a two-disc set, they don't even want the second disc. They just want the feature disc. Uh, just put the disc in an envelope, send it off, and they will mail you new Blu-rays, complete, you know, brand new, complete with cases and everything. So, oh, and they'll send the cases. That's nice. Yeah, four dollars ninety-five cents is just a huge uh, bargain. So if you if you've got a Blu-ray player, you got a bunch of old DVDs, check this out. It'll really help kickstart your collection. Sweet. Um, last recommendation, there was a great show on about two years ago called Life on Mars. It was a an American remake of a British TV show. I've never seen the British version, but the American one was awesome. Harvey Keitel was one of the stars. It was about a, a modern-day cop gets mysteriously thrust back to 1973, and so it's uh, it's it's very much the kind of testosterone machismo 1970s cop movie influence type stuff uh, with Harvey Keitel fits in perfectly Michael Imperioli Gretchen Maul were in it a great show only lasted 17 episodes Amazon.com has it on sale right now the complete series on DVD for $11.49 you cannot beat that price that is less than a dollar per episode it's like 75 cents tops you're not even going to get that price on iTunes for digital (laughs) downloads so go check that out while the deal's still there that is all my recommendations. For That's a good bunch. Good job. Okay. Uh, Stella, what do you got? Uh, for my literature recommendation, I'm going to recommend The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Um, it's basically set in, in, in an post-apocalyptic future, and it's following this father and son as they sort of make their way to the coast and um, sort of every all the the hell that they have to go through. Um, it's you know it's a little depressing, obviously, but it, it really is about this uh, bond between the father and the son. Um, for TV shows, I would like to recommend Burn Notice, which is off to a great start. That's on USA's Thursday at nine. In Plain Sight, which is also on USA, that follows two um, 
witness protection agents in New Mexico. Um, I just love Mary Shannon because she has such an awesome, uh, dry sense of humor. It's so biting. And that's on Wednesdays at 10. And for comics, besides, you know, everyone hopefully who read my review knows that Secret Avengers rocked. So I, I you know, impress upon you to uh, get that. But I also read uh, the trade paperback X-23, Innocence Lost. And I know I'm way behind on the times. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that was the first trade paperback that I've ever read in one sitting. I just started, I was like, I'll read a couple, you know, issues before I go to bed. But I sat there and read that entire thing. It was so fantastic. So I have the, the second one, Target X. And apparently she's getting a new solo series, so I'm sort of excited about that. But those are my recommendations. And Kevin and I have both read that uh uh, what, what X twenty X twenty three? I almost said Weapon X. No, uh, yeah. both are really good. Great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. And but, I've also got to back you up on Burn Notice and In Plain Sight. Very good recommendations. Cool. And she stole one of mine. Oh, do you have one, <laughs> Stella? Sorry. No, no, that's okay. yeah, that's good. You stole my Secret Avengers one. I, I oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I have two comics, a store, and a TV show that I'm recommending. Secret Avengers is one. That I love Diodato's artwork. And I always oh, yeah. have. And that, that book was just a great setup issue. I, I would concur with you that it was a better setup issue than Avengers number one. Even though I liked Avengers number one a lot more than you did, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, uh, check that book out. I, I'm, I'm really excited where that one's gonna go. Uh, my other one is Dark Avengers. They just wrapped up a hell of a series with that book. With the exception of that crossover they did in the middle of it. Uh, I thought Dark Avengers was a good, what, 18 issue sol- solid run. Did either one of you guys read Dark Avengers? Yeah, I did the whole thing, but I skipped the uh, the, the crossover. The, the X Men, the X Men crossover. It wasn't even written by Bendis, so I, and I didn't have any problems skipping it. So. You didn't miss <laughs> I, a damn thing. Yeah, but, uh, Dark Avenger and Diodato is one of your favorites, Kev. I think. Mm. Yeah, he is my favorite. So pretty. <laughs> I haven't read Secret Avengers yet, but it's Ed Brubaker and Mike Diodato. So what the hell more do you need to know? Yeah, dude, that that one just kicks all sorts of ass. Uh, Secret and Dark Avengers, really good stuff. Um, I the store. I'm recommending a store, which I never thought I'd recommend this, but I'm a, now officially a Sam's Club member, <laughs> and that's where Zach works. So um, uh, I recommend that. I never thought I would join Sam's Club because it's $40 for a year, but it's like a dollar a week, less than a dollar a week. But uh, since we're having a baby, they sell a shit ton of, literally, diapers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anyway, we signed up for the diapers because they have a hell of a deal on diapers. And then I discovered that they sell a bigger Mountain Dew bottle than I'm normally getting. Oh, so I'm like, where the, where the hell do I sign up for this place? I mean, <laughs> my my local store is usually always out of the Mountain Dew, the Diet Mountain Dew that I buy. So, uh, and also they have a giant thing of pork rinds that you can come over and hug. <laughs> And it's also, they house the cheese balls in this similar container. So if you'd like to go over and hug some cheese balls or pork rinds, uh, Sam's Club is for you. I enjoy that place. <laughs> Have you guys been in a Sam's Club or a, or a bulk store like this before? Yeah, when yeah. I was little, my mom had a membership to Sam's Club. It is, it's like the promised land of things in bulk. And it's though? basically America in one warehouse. <laughs> That's a message board signature if I've ever heard it. <laughs> Are you a Sam's Club member? You've been there a few times? Yeah, um, I am a member. It's really helpful, you know, in college, uh, yeah. to get stuff from there. So. Ramen noodles in bulk. Ramen noodles in, by the metric ton in aisle six. <laughs> Um, that's my store, uh, my TV show recommendation, 24. I, this has been on my DVR since January, and I just, 
We, we, I watched the whole season in the span of two, two and a half weeks. And <laughs> I just reaffirmed my love of Jack Bauer. And I'm sad to see it go, but there's just so many terrorist nuclear bombs that we can do every season. But, well, uh, there's gonna be a movie. Yeah, hell, I'll be there. I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I loved this season. I thought it was very strong. I thought it started off kind of a little weaker than I would liked, but, uh, dang, gangbusters towards the end. And it has Starbuck in it. So. Yeah, once she stopped being a complete whiny bitch, it was a lot better. <laughs> Wasn't it though? Right when she took that turn, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah she I was, it. I love Katie Sackhoff, and yet I wanted her to die for like the first <laughs> quarter of the season. <laughs> Me too. Like, just shut up and go away. Shut up, yeah. Anyway, Kevin, did you like this season? Do you think it was strong? Uh, it had ups and downs for me. Um, yeah. I thought, like you said, it got a lot stronger. I thought it was, I thought it had a really strong middle. <clears throat> it had a kind of crappy beginning, really strong middle. Faltered a lot towards the end, especially the, the characterization of the president went to shit. Uh, I mean, this is the woman that, you know, is so honest, she put her daughter in jail. Uh, so <laughs> her characterization was But I love seeing Logan again. Oh. Well, and especially once you got to the point near the end where Jack is just basically commando and everybody shits oh, yeah. their pants the moment they see him. Yes. was just awesome. <laughs> I love to put on the Iron Man armor or whatever and start yeah. shooting the hell up everything. Stella, and both you... Logan and his, his yeah. second command just kind of absolutely oh, man, lost it so and gave awesome. up. When they were in the tunnel, I was like, hell yeah. It's uh, Jack Bauer. It's Jack Bauer. He's coming for me. <laughs> he could be. What do you think? Do you think Logan could be a good Norman Osborn? They uh, I don't know. He's kind of a pansy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he can't stand up to the hero is the That's problem. True. That's true. Stella, are you a 24 fan? Did you watch this season at all? No, I've never watched any episodes. Okay. Well, highly recommended out of me. All right. Any final thoughts on the show before I hit stop? What do you think, Kevin? Uh, I think we started off with some absolutely terrible comics and ended with some good recommendations. And that wraps up our first show for June. We have one more coming out this month. But before we go, I want to spotlight one more Spider book from our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. The book is Spider Girl, The End. And the description reads, quote, In a story spanning the history of the MC2 universe, witness the battle you've been waiting for as Mayday Parker takes on her own clone, April. The fate of the Parker family hangs in the balance, and so does an entire universe. The last stand of The Amazing Spider-Girl is here. And the cover price for that book is $3.99. Mail order has it for just $2.39, which is 40% off the cover price. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. Gang, thanks so much for listening. For the Spider-Man Crawlspace.com, I'm Brad Douglas, your host and webmaster. 